With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Galver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina of the internet, but especially GQ this week. It seemed like, Michael, you're cranking out stories on all sorts of different subjects. We've got some real legitimate news and developments to discuss today. For once, our timing is actually pretty good, Michael. We have just about the entire postseason bracket ready to rock. Now, obviously, we're waiting on the results of the West 8th seed There's going to be a play-in this weekend on Saturday and possibly Sunday if necessary. So we don't know yet who the Lakers are going to be playing in the first round. But every other matchup has now been settled in both conferences. So we know that we're getting the LA Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks, the Denver Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz, the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Houston Rockets in the West. In the East, we know we're getting the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Orlando Magic, the Toronto Raptors versus the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, your Boston Celtics versus not your Philadelphia 76ers, and the Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers. So, Michael, why is the West so much more compelling than the East? Again, but in seriousness, where do you want to start? Pick a matchup. Tell me what you're excited to see the most in the first round. Yeah, let's start. Why don't we just start out West? Um we covered it a little bit already, but the Clippers Mav series. Now that that is finalized, and we know that that it's going to happen, uh, I said in the last episode that I thought that the Mavs had like a six or seven percent chance of, of of winning that one, and I haven't really deterred from that opinion. But I am just really fascinated to see now that it's official what Luca looks like against like. 48 minutes or however long of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard defending him, which is just going to be particularly in crutch time. It's just going to be something that he's never experienced before. And I I'm dying to see how he responds. 
So are we anticipating a flip switch from the Clippers? I think I am a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Just because yeah, they've yeah, been pacing yeah. themselves since, like, basically since the moment they signed Kawhi Leonard, it feels like they've been pacing themselves. And now it actually gets real, in theory. Um, if they do flip the switch and they're just, you know, throwing the house at Luka, how do you think Dallas will kind of counter that? Like, what are their real options? I'm not sure they have – they're so tied. Their identity is so tied to Luka being the main playmaker and doing everything that uh, I'm not sure what the backup plan is. I guess cro- uh, close your eyes and pray that Porzingis stays hot like he has been the last couple of games. I'm not sure what else do you do there. Yeah, I think, as you said, like Luka is their offense, like incredibly high usage. He just makes everything happen off the bounce. I would imagine that, you know, they're going to be running a ton of pick and roll with uh, Luca and KP and I guess like if you're the Clippers eventually you're probably gonna aggressively trap that and then it, you're right like KP making moves out of the pick and roll whether it be as a roller popper playmaker in space uh, I think a lot of it comes down to him because he does have the size advantage over whoever the Clippers want to throw on him and it's going to be interesting to see just who the Clippers do guard him with um, and that's going to be just fascinating because you know kp has this ceiling in my eyes where he can basically get any shot he wants at any time because of his height and his high release is he going to take advantage of it is he going to crumble uh you know defensively uh i'm at, like that game against the blazers like uh, where D- dame scored 61 that was just uh basketball torture like they just targeted kp on every play it seemed like and the Mavericks had no response whatsoever. So I could imagine the Clippers going at him with Lou Williams and a lot of high pick and roll when they don't really even want to utilize Kawhi and PG. It's just, it's a, it's a bad matchup in a lot of ways for Dallas, but it, it's going to be fun regardless. It doesn't feel like a great matchup either way. I mean, Doc Rivers was already kind of stressed out about how do they match up with Porzingis? How do they match up with Luke? I mean, those guys Mm -hmm. are just weird kind of problems for the Clippers, but you're right. It goes the other way too. I think not only Lou Williams is a guy to watch in those high screen roles, I think Paul George too. I mean, what Lillard showed is if you kind of duck in right behind that three-point line, you know, if you set the screen high enough so that you can just, you know, step right into a three-pointer and Porzingis is dropping and he's not going to get up to, to cover it, that shot is basically there for you all day. And Paul George can hit that shot. I mean, he's a very pure three-point shooter, you know, in coming mm-hmm. off a of bounce. I mean, that's no problem at all. And same deal for Lou Williams. I think from the Clippers' perspective, you know, one thing to watch is just like how much big do you play versus how much small do you play? And then also, do they get Montrez Harrell back uh, into real minutes here quickly? He's a very important piece for them. They haven't had him due to a death in the family. Um, he is back on the campus. Uh, I'm not entirely sure his quarantine status, but I think he's clearing in time <laughs> for the playoffs. So I think he's just one X factor to watch in terms of, you know, some of these matchup issues. All right, let's make predictions. I'm putting you on the spot, Michael. I think I'm going to take Clippers. I'm feeling risky. I'll, I'll take Clippers in five. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Clippers in five. Oh, Michael, you don't want to go for the sweep? Maybe we'll see. <laughs> maybe we'll see. Uh, you get your, we're just warming up here. we got plenty more series to predict. Okay, let's, um, let's go to the one that I actually think might be the headlining series of this whole thing. Uh, Oklahoma City and Houston. How juicy is that? So James Harden leaves the Thunder for the Rockets. Russell Westbrook gets traded for Chris Paul last summer in that blockbuster trade that kind of blew everyone's mind. Somehow they are about to uh, face off, and right now they have identical records, and they're in that 4-5 or spot. Um, 
pretty wild. Nobody saw this matchup coming back in, in September or October that I know of. Um, so who are you picking? What is the key factor that it's going to boil down to? What what defines this series for you besides the obvious just layers of coagulated bad blood? <laughs> well, I'm obviously picking the Rockets just because. Uh, are you Are you sure? Can they win the title and still lose in the first round? Are both those things possible, I d- Michael? I, d- I don't think that is on the table, unfortunately. But I am a little concerned because... Like, you should this, be. This, okay, this Russell Westbrook injury, uh, this muscle injury that he's been dealing with that is putting his uh, postseason status uh, in doubt a little bit. Not that he's like been ruled out or anything, but we just don't know when he's going to take the floor. So if he misses some time, that obviously changes the dimension of the Rockets a little bit, especially when James Harden uh, needs to rest. Bit? Well, I mean, Eric Gordon looked really good in his uh, re-debut after the ankle injury he suffered. I mean, he looked really fresh. Austin Rivers dropped like 51 or whatever, however many points he dropped. I think it was like 40 or something uh, in a recent game. So, like, they have offensive players who can step in, particularly in their system where there's just so much space and room to operate. But, I mean, Westbrook obviously adds a completely different dimension in terms of speed and trying to get out in the break against a team that likes to play slow. So I think it's just going to be a really interesting, fascinating matchup. Chris Paul obviously is incredible still. Uh, he's st- like, I just love watching Chris Paul play. And he obviously has this like, uh, you know, personal vendetta against the Houston Rockets a little bit, I would imagine. So you're right to call this the series of the first round because a lot of the other ones are kind of dull. And I just I can't wait to watch this one. No, me neither. I mean, it does kind of feel like, I mean, bodies are just dropping left and right. Like I think Lou Dort got injured uh, with with the knee injury and had to get an MRI the other night. That's a really important piece for them in this series. I mean, from a, a perimeter defensive standpoint, if you're OKC, you really need that guy. Steven Adams has bang, uh, been banged up for the Thunder as well. I mean, is this all just going towards a situation where it winds up just being one-on-one Chris Paul versus James Harden, last man standing, gets to go to the second round? Like, that's kind of the feel. Like, both these teams are just limping in a little bit. Um, I will actually take the Rockets as well. Um, I think that ultimately Harden's the best player in the series. Um, I think that their style is just such a nightmare. I think for a player like Adams, he is going to be – put into some really uh, you know, tricky and unhealthy situations for him in terms of how they spread him out. Um, he is not really that you know, off- lead op- offensive option to mm-hmm. get it back on the other end. You know, I mean, he, he can clean stuff up and, and pound you on the offensive glass, but you're not going to be like dumping the ball into Steven Adams and letting him post up on P.J. Tucker. Like, I don't think that's really getting you anywhere. So I think he's going to wind up being – I think exposed slightly by Houston's style and that could be a sign of things to come as Houston goes through the playoffs and, and kind of puts teams in these tricky spots but I think with or without Westbrook they'll be okay here I will take Houston uh, I'm gonna go Rockets I'm gonna go Rockets in five again yeah, I'm, I'm feeling uh, pretty confident about them so I actually have the Rockets in six and wow. that's just are you, of, uh, are you I'm sure just, you're a diehard Rockets fan? Are you positive? I, I am not a diehard Rockets fan, but I, uh, oh, you I, me. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm just showing respect for, for CP, for Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I just, you know, it's, there's very few players in the entire league who are more aesthetically pleasing to watch play basketball than him. So that's going to be fun. Um, 
And I just, yeah, I, I've been a fan of this team for uh, a majority of the season in their three guard lineup, and so I think they can get two. I do, but in the well, end, you sound it's, pretty it's nervous. Yeah, you sound nervous. Let me ask you, like Chris Paul's had his reputation about you know postseason foibles every once in a while. Obviously, I think Harden gets hit with that label too, and to me, it's a little bit unfair in terms of how people pile on Harden. If this goes to like Game Six and Game Seven. How nervous would you be about your, you know, Rockets winning the title pick? Like, do you trust Houston in a long, extended, tight series against an evenly matched opponent? Or do you default to Chris Paul? Because I know you're a big Chris Paul guy. It does sort of feel like you're you're rooting against various chambers of your heart here, Michael, really. <laughs> I think what it, what it really comes down to with the Rockets is that every series is a new matchup. So because of how they play, like if they were to struggle against the Thunder, that does not necessarily mean that they would struggle in the second round against the Lakers or whoever the Lakers play in the first round because of just like they they just spread it out. They go small and some teams are built to deal with that better than others. So I wouldn't really sound the alarm, even if it went to seven and they barely escaped because just there's so much high variance. There's so many different um, there's so many different things that can happen when uh, you play as the Rockets do and 60% of your shots are behind the three-point line, which is just like a totally unprecedented number uh, as it has been for Houston in the bubble. So I'm not, I wouldn't even be worried if they struggled in the first round, to be honest with you. Um, how, how do they lose this series? What happens for them to lose this series? Is it Westbrook can't go or he's not 100% and you know, Oklahoma City does a decent enough job, job of limiting hard and the other guys don't step up. Like, what does it look like if Houston winds up, winds up getting upset here? And I use upset in quotation marks because I think technically they could be the five seed. So, I mean, this is pretty evenly matched up. But I think most people will view Houston as the favorite because of their track record of postseason success in previous years. Um, what has to go wrong? I mean, what does it look like? Uh, I think... I look at Andre Robertson as a pretty interesting player in the series. You know, he is not the same player he was before those uh, several knee injuries. But before that, he was one of the best on-ball defenders in the entire NBA. And so if he can give quality minutes just on Harden in a, in a situation where Westbrook is not really a factor... And, you know, you can single coverage Harden with Robertson a little bit and not help so much off the three-point line that these are just wide-open shots for guys like Ben McLemore and Eric Gordon. That would be a huge factor. But, like, at the end of the day, if Houston if Houston were to lose, I think it's just because they didn't shoot the ball well and they got just absolutely demolished on the offensive glass. So Steven Adams is another huge figure here. And as you mentioned, like I don't I don't believe he is 100% physically, so I'm not that worried about that factor. But it's just like when you shoot as many threes as you do, if you miss, you know, just to, to pluck a number out of thin air, if you miss 27 of them in a row, you're probably not going to win the game. So it sounds like you're having flashbacks, Michael. I'll say this, look... <laughs> I mean, OKC fans are already so excited about Robertson coming back to the court after years away, and he's actually been stroking some three-pointers kind of out of nowhere too, which is getting people excited. If Robertson winds up sending home both Westbrook and Harden from the playoffs, I don't know if you've been to Oklahoma City. They have all those Buffalo statues like by the, the Riverwalk area they've got going on. 
there mm-hmm. will be a Robertson statue if that's how it goes down. If he just locks up Harden and, and they win the series, you're going to have to like commemorate this man's resolve in some sort of fitting fashion uh, there in Oklahoma City. All right, let's uh, hop over to the series that I have a feeling is going to have about 17 people watching it. That will be the Denver Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz. Out of, out of curiosity, like really, how much do you think we're going to talk about this series? Am I laying it on too thick? Or is this going to be the forgotten one? Because keep in mind, we got this juicy matchup in the West between OKC Houston, and you've got the two LA teams in the first round of the Western Conference bracket. I mean, I feel like that mountain time zone, that that pairing is going to get overlooked, right? It's going to get overlooked, but I don't even think it should. Like, I I think this is a really interesting matchup. Uh, I'm really fascinated by you know the, the some of the players on Denver who've shine really bright like Michael Porter Jr. Um, just kind of out of nowhere. I want to see what he does in his first playoff series. Um, and then Utah has star power. And, you know, we saw in there uh, over the weekend, like that Donovan Mitchell performance against Denver was just incredible in crunch time, double overtime loss for Utah. So I think it'll be super entertaining. Um and I think Utah low-key is very excited about this because they just didn't want to play the Rockets, right? So if you get a team like Denver that's banged up, Will Barton hasn't played at all in the bubble, I don't believe. Gary Harris hasn't played at all. Jamal Murray missed some time with a hamstring injury. Uh, so they haven't really been themselves entirely. And Utah obviously doesn't have... Uh, Bogdanovich, but uh, they've been able to coalesce a little bit better, uh, I think, than Denver. So uh, I think Den- I think Utah should be confident heading into this series more than someone on the outside would would think. I want to seize on that point because if you're Rudy Gobert and like you know you're, you're trying to go to sleep at night and you start to have the nightmares, right? And behind door number one of the nightmare is James Harden, right? and you already know how that's going to go, right? Behind door number two of the nightmare is Chris Paul, and you already know how that's going to go. Behind door number three of the nightmare is Jokic, and you don't really know how that's going to go, but you have a, a, an idea that maybe he'll he'll work you too because there's been some head-to-head mm-hmm. matchups in the regular season. Yeah, I think if those are your three choices, if you're Gobert and you're Utah, you're like, look, we've already seen these other ones. We don't really want to deal with that. Why don't we just take our chances against Denver, hope that their injury and depth issues come back to bite them, hope that uh, we're able to outscore them and and Donovan Mitchell can really get going. And that's sort of your formula through, don't you think? I mean, that that does, I mean, I think if if I was a Jazz fan sitting in that sixth seed, you're feeling like you dodged a lot of bullets here on the matchups. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Cool. All right. That's all we need to talk about. We'll, we'll check back <laughs> yeah. with those teams. Probably never. Um, real quick, because they're going to do the, the playing games here coming up this weekend. Just one sentence prediction. Who's going to be the eighth seed? How do they do it? Um, are they going to have to, you know, are they the eighth seed going into the play? And do they have to win two straight? Who is going to face the LA Lakers? Man, I know what team I want to see. And that's... Uh, the team that has the best player in the bubble right now, and that's the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. That's what I want very badly. And no disrespect to Phoenix, undefeated, incredible story. Uh, no disrespect to the Spurs, who are playing these like four guard lineups, and they're really funky and are showing a lot of heart. You know, a lot more heart than a team like the New Orleans Pelicans did. Um, 
And the other team I am blanking on right now, but no disrespect to... Oh, the Memphis Grizzlies. No disrespect to the Memphis Grizzlies either, but, you know, they, uh, their no, second you, best player... You literally just, <laughs> just forgot, forgot they existed. Yeah. So that's like the definition of disrespect, Michael. Uh, no, I, I'm with you on the Grizzlies too. They've been falling, 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 in part because Jaron Jackson Jr. got hurt, yeah. um, in part because they're just young. And, and they, they definitely punched above their weight all season long. I mean, we kind of knew that. They still have a chance here. We're taping this on a Thursday. I don't want to jinx it for them, but th- their last game's against Milwaukee with no Giannis because of the headbutt. So if Memphis wins that game, they wind up being in the play-in, and uh, that kind of, you know, if you're Phoenix, you're just sitting there like, Giannis, did you really have to headbutt Mo Wagner? Was that necessary? Was that entirely important? I have a, a quick thing that I, I just because you kind of cited that, if you are the Milwaukee Bucks and their players... Taylor Jenkins, obviously, was your an assistant last year. You know him very well. Now oh, wow. one of the up-and-coming coaches in Memphis. Are you, like, you know, are you trying to help your, your boy? Or are you, like, I am going extra hard against this guy? Like, as it, just as, like, a friendly com- competition sort of thing. Like, do you want a winner? Are you, like, hey, come on. Like, this would be really cool if Taylor got in the playoffs. It's a great question. Um, I mean, they also have, like, Coach Bud and Monty are both from that Spurs mafia, right? So, like, do they want to help Monty in Phoenix, you know, and give him a little boost here by uh, tanking or by taking care of business against Memphis? Or do they want to tank it and kind of rub it in the Phoenix's face? (laughs) I mean, that's an open question. I think if I were them, I would want Phoenix to miss the playoffs because it increases the likelihood that Booker gets traded and then maybe they could get in the mix for a Booker trade. Um so maybe that's the uh, the chess move, right? Just uh, Machiavellian like, of you. Yeah, I mean, this is not going to happen. I'm just trying to, you know, come through the crazy <laughs> scenarios. Um, but yeah, the funniest thing of all, by the way, would be San Antonio somehow spoiling this party after no one has talked about them for two weeks straight. That would just be hilarious. Um, I don't see that happening either. I think it's Portland, and uh, mm-hmm. I think Lakers, Blazers. I mean, that one might actually get the best ratings of any of the first round series. I think just because of the the momentum that Lillard's built. Um, I mean, they're not exactly the biggest rivals, but certainly Portland views that as a, a big rivalry. Um, and I think, you know, that's just as much star power almost as you can pack into a first round matchup. So uh, I think that's probably how it's going to shake out. And I wouldn't be surprised if Portland claims the eight seed that they're going to play the Nets tonight. The Nets uh, have no reason to play hard. So Portland should win that game as the eight seed. I imagine they could take care of business on Saturday and that sets it. But uh, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So let's tie off the Western Conference here real quick. Let's make our picks for these final two series. Um, who do you have, Denver, Utah? And then who do you have, Lakers versus eight seed? <laughs> Lakers versus eight seed. Um, I have the Nuggets in six, just because I think Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr., Paul Millsap, who we didn't even mention, is another dude on that team who's really good. Uh, so I, I got Nuggets in six, and then... Um, <laughs> I don't want my Twitter mentions. You're in my taking Instagram. the eight seed. You don't even know who they're going to play, and you're taking the eight seed. I love it, Michael. I mean, if it is the Blazers, I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 a part of me is just like, sure, why not? It's the bubble. Like, Dame just went for 61. He's so incredible. I, you know, I think about the trouble that he had back in, uh, I forget how many years ago it was, it was a couple of years ago against the the Pelicans when Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday were just a total nightmare matchup for him. 
Um, and that worries me a little bit because Davis is still one of the best defensive players in the entire world. But I just see this, like, Dame is just, I, you just can't bet against Dame Lillard right now. Like, am I, am I crazy? You're not crazy, but I, I love you. the take that you're gonna, you're picking <laughs> a, a number one seed upset before they've even qualified for the playoffs. It's phenomenal. Can I, yeah. Can I just real quickly also say that if it's the Suns, the Grizzlies, um, the Spurs, the Lakers are going to take biz- care of business in like five. But I just think the Blazers can give them a series. Uh, it, it makes total sense. I, I get what you're saying. Okay, my picks. To me, the the Nuggets-Jazz one is the hardest one to pick. Um I, I found out last night, thanks to David Locke, that Denver has the worst defense in the bubble, 22nd out of 22. That mm-hmm. really made me nervous. That doesn't sound great, right? That's that's tough, and can you tighten up that much in a short time period without uh, your guys? At the same time, I super trust playoff Jokic. I mean, not to the same degree that you're talking about with, with Lillard, but he was pretty awesome in last year's playoffs. I do think he can take his game up an extra gear. And I think the matchup with Gobert for him has just been solid kind of the whole way through. Um, at the same time, I mean, Utah, if they had been a little bit more convincing here in the bubble, I would be tempted to take them. I just don't think that they've been very good here, unfortunately. So I'm going to default to Nuggets and seven. I think that's going to be a super tight back and forth, like really hard to predict series. I'm going to default to Jokic. I do not feel good about that pick at all. And I'm going to take uh, Lakers and six over the Blazers, um, Lakers and five over anybody else. Uh, I think that, I mean, it's just so much to ask of Lillard night after night after night to do that in a playoff series. Mm -hmm. We've seen situations before where if his efficiency is off, everything falls apart for them. Um, so I, I, not that I'm betting against him in some like major way. It's more like I'm betting against their entire structure that, uh, you know, if LeBron turns it up and they can't stop him, they can't keep him off the free throw line. Uh, they don't have great defensive matchups for Anthony Davis. I just think, um, you know, some of the positive buzz here, I guess I'm, I'm betting slightly or I'm selling short on some of the positive buzz here uh, that Portland has generated. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. 
When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, Michael, let's shift gears to the Eastern Conference. I don't want to be a jerk here, but are any of these series good? I mean, is there a single one that's compelling in basically any way? What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, yeah, of course. Come on. I, I okay. think Is there more I, than one? I mean, we can agree. I'll give you Boston <laughs> Philly. It's compelling because it's going to be, you know. First of all, it will be enjoyable to watch Philly flame out. But if they don't flame out and they pull the upset, it's going to be one of the greatest moments of my life. So that series is going to be amazing. <laughs> um, yes, that is. I think that that is going to be a very entertaining series just because you know there's history there with these two uh these two teams and even without Ben Simmons I'm personally really interested to see just how Brett Brown coaches this team and what style of play they embrace and you know are they is Joel Embiid going to be someone who actually takes advantage of his size and strength against a small relatively smaller opponent like I, I just is he gonna take the mid-range jumpers and just be like sayonara to the bubble or is he going to do the dirty work down low that's what I'm interested in seeing um but you know besides that before we like get a little deeper into that series the other one that I think can be fun to watch is heat pacers man I really do and mm. I know that I know that uh you know TJ Warren has been struggling a little bit of late, and he's got this foot injury, and I don't really know what the status is of him going forward. But the Pacers team is 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 a lot of fun, man. And they're kind of the Cinderella story, I guess, of the Eastern Conference. Uh, yeah, look, if- Michael, I mean, you know, you know you're on the show here. You've been on this show a while. Like, I understand your natural <laughs> desire to sort of play to your basketball hipster base here. You know, you want to do it for the NBA Twitter crowd and make sure that they know you're watching all, all these different games. Sure. You're not excited to watch the Indiana Pacers <laughs> lose in the first round of the playoffs for the 73rd consecutive season. There's no way you can convince me that you're actually excited about that. Relatively speaking, I am not that excited. That is true. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I appreciate the honesty. I was not expecting it. I for sure thought you were going to double down. Look, I think it's interesting. That series is interesting to me because – what does Miami look like? Can they come out there and just kind of really take care of the Pacers? And now are they a threat to Milwaukee? I mean, it's almost like a building block type series, more than like a super interesting head-to-head matchup. But let's stick with um, Celtic Sixers, because I think that's where all the action is. What's sure. your pick there? And then, I mean, you're raising these questions of like, can MB do it every single night? And we kind of all know that he can't. So yeah. like, how? what's your pick? And then how could this go wrong for Boston? Because I think that they're coming in 
with a sneaky amount of pressure here. Like, I think everybody anticipates Boston taking care of business just because Philly's been so shaky. And, you know, we've actually seen the matchup before in the past, and it didn't go well for Philly. So what do you have to say for yourself, and what's making you paranoid maybe in in that climate? I'm not paranoid. I think that the Celtics, this team that has just so many different players who have made already in their young careers made deep playoff runs, and they're used to that environment. Uh, I'm not. I, I don't think they're going to be overlooking Philadelphia at, at all. There's still a lot of really good players on Philly. You've got Tobias Harris. You've got uh, Al Horford, who they clearly don't want to lose to. And obviously, Can I, and, let me interject sure. here real quick. Is it even possible to overlook a team in the bubble when you're like forced to stare at them every single day? Like, <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of being serious. Like, doesn't the whole mentality of these things change? Like, you're not going to really let up and like take a series easily because you've got nothing else to do and like no outside distractions, right? Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And it it makes me think of the Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Instagram, Twitter wars, where they're just like following (laughs) each other around filming each other, which is just a joy in my life. Um, but no, you're right. It's 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 like you have nothing else to do. There are no distractions. It is game film. It is practice. It is more game film. It is game time. So that is going to be the schedule for these guys going forward. So I'm not really that worried about Boston. I think they're just they're a lot more talented. I think if you're Philly, one of the more interesting things is how often are you going to play Matisse Thybul, who had a lot of success defending. Uh, Kemba Walker in their three previous matchups and like without Ben Simmons uh, where who is Josh Richardson defending because is he going to be the guy who's on Kemba is uh, Josh Richardson going to have to go up a position and guard Jalen or guard uh, or Tatum or I just think that they have a lot of questions that they may not have answers to um, on the side of the ball that we all thought they were going to be just this total juggernaut on earlier this season so i think boston is yeah yeah they're they're way less um intimidating on the defensive end than we all expected i've been so disappointed in them i hope they know that you know it's it's really been bothering me (laughs) um they've just been shaky here in the bubble too and i think the simmons injury really does sap a lot of the juice out of this series i think you could really start to try to make a case for philly flipping the switch and all that if they had their full complement of guys they just don't and I mean, some of this is just body language analysis. Some of this is just like vibes around teams. There's definitely certain teams who really want to be here, are locked in, are trying to make it happen, right? And Philly is just the opposite of that. And it's not like a full New Orleans where it did seem like Lonzo might have been booking plane tickets home during the middle of games at at certain points. Um, But they just don't really have that vibe of like, hey, we're going to do it for the Gipper. We're going to turn this whole thing around. I just don't see it. So I'm going to take Boston in five. Uh, How about yourself? That is also my prediction. Celtics in five. I was tempted to go Celtics in four, but I am a believer in superstition. And so I did not want to did not want to tempt the gods. Yeah, you don't want to take that game one loss and then really freak out. Uh, That's that's smart by you. You give yourself the buffer. Um, Okay, let's move to that Miami-Indiana series. Um, You know, I was being a little facetious earlier. I don't want to discount what Indiana's done, and I think it's telling that Nate McMillan got himself a contract extension in the bubble. I mean, that's like no small accomplishment uh, for a coach, and I think he squeezed all the lemonade out of the lemon there, especially dealing with uh, not 100% Victor Oladipo 
and you know Demontis Sabonis just not really being there because he's he's been injured. I just don't believe in TJ Warren that whole experience. I think it was fun. I'm not discounting it. I just don't think he's taking you to a playoff series win, especially against a team in Miami that has the best player in the series with Jimmy Butler, and they they go like eight or nine deep of useful guys, you know, and they play together. They play hard. They're focused. Um, I see Eric Spolstra walking in the 92-degree heat almost every single day. He is here ready to impose heat culture on the Indiana Pacers. And for that reason, I'm going to take Miami in five. I like how you said you do not believe in TJ Warren and then in the next breath, but I am not discounting him. I don't really know what to take away from that analysis. I guess what I meant is I'm not going to like argue that he did do the things he's done the last two weeks i'm not going to dispute the facts and try to like <laughs> Thank you. you know uh, you, you know discount what he's done uh-huh. i'm just saying i don't believe he could continue doing that i don't think Fair. he's that guy and i th- i also think like he would need to be better than he's been to lead this indiana team over miami in a series if that makes sense like he would have to go to another gear i think even just like the scoring prowess that he's shown over the last 10 days I'm not sure that's totally enough to get them past Miami. I'm not trying to hype Miami up as this amazing team, but they're really solid. Um, they're much deeper. They, they're healthier. And they've got the best player in Butler. And I think that, uh, you know, ultimately he's going to win that matchup. Um, and I'm not saying that just because of, of what happened the other night. Um, you know, I think just in general, he's just a better all-around player. He's got some playoff experience. If you want a team to get to the second round, Jimmy Butler's your guy. And I think that's going to happen. That sounded like a backhanded compliment, but I'll tell you. Well, it was, but I mean, facts only. I mean, come on. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I like Miami a lot in this series at the end of the day, and they have the two best players in the series, Jimmy and Bam. Uh, I, you know, I wrote this thing for 538 this week about the relationship on court that Bam has with Duncan Robinson and just the synergy and the how they are so complimentary as a one-two punch. I I look forward to watching that in this series as well. So, Michael, I roast you a lot, but that was a great eye by you. Those two guys do really move in sync, move in unison. There's a lot of unspoken on-court cues that kind of develop. They make eye contact. It's almost like they're winking at each other. It's like, hey, now do the dribble handoff. Here I come, ripping out from the corner up to the angle. It is fun to watch. It is legitimately fun to watch. And, um, I mean, it, Duncan can just shoot the lights out of the gym. You know, I mean, the guy can really, really play. And, and Bam's a fun, fascinating player, too. It's going to be sad when they lose to Milwaukee. But for now, it's definitely a great story. <laughs> yeah, super sad. Uh, heat in six in that series, by the way. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But I, I like Miami. Uh, I like their defense. I like their versatility. Uh, and... Like, I don't know if you caught this game because there's just so many, Ben, but when Miami played uh, Indiana on Monday night, I believe it was, and everyone was kind of anticipating this Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren showdown because the last time those two played, they basically fought each other. Uh, and, um, but Bam Adebayo versus uh, Miles Turner was just like, you could sense that Bam, I might just be projecting this, but... You could sense that Bam was like upset that Miles Turner made Team USA over him for the World Cup tryout. Like he was intense, and I think that'll carry over uh, into this series. I think Bam will just be a total monster. I don't think Indiana really has an option, any options to slow him down. 
in the, the 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 different ways that he's able to impact the game. So I'm going Miami um, in five in this one. Yeah, I hear you. All right, let's um, switch up Toronto Brooklyn, real barn burner from the Eastern Conference. Um, in all fairness to Brooklyn, they've definitely overperformed expectations. I did not think they were going to claim the seven seed once half their team was left home. Um, so kudos to Jock Vaughn for um, you know keeping these guys ready to rock and, and just keeping them frisky. Um, they have no shot against Toronto, though, right? I mean, is this a sweep no. or five games, or, or what are we calling it? I, I couldn't even, like, as someone who covers the NBA for a living, I could not tell you who is going to be in Brooklyn starting five. Like, could you, can you do that off the top of your head? I'm not asking you to right now, just like, could you? Uh, definitely not all five, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's not great. And, I mean, honestly, like, I even feel bad mentioning some of these series. This is the problem with the Eastern Conference. This should be Phoenix, man. This should be Toronto Phoenix, and then we're hyped about it. And instead, it's like, who's even on the team? Like, what, what are their names? It's just... It kills me. Take the top 16 in the playoffs, and it will be such a better product. But I guess, um, let me ask you this. Toronto's mm-hmm. not going to blow it. There's right. not going to be some situation where they lose in the first round. But if this gets trickier, like it goes, say, six games instead of five, or five games instead of four, what's the bugaboo for Toronto? I mean, I think some people would point to half-court offense. Um, I'm not sure, you know, Pascal hasn't been like full Pascal yet. Is is that mm-hmm. the issue or how do you see this just getting complicated for them? My brain just like hasn't even gone there because this was actually the only series that I picked to sweep in. I just I I can't imagine Toronto crumbling here. I think they're super laser focused and defensively they've just been a, a completely different planet from every other team except for when they Played the Boston Celtics last week. I should I should note, um, but Toronto they have some offensive issues for sure, and those are worrisome. Just in the context of can this team win the NBA championship? But in this series, uh, you know, I just I, I don't see it being a a great concern. Even if the Nets embrace an offensive style of basketball that is. Like the Houston Rockets on steroids, where seventy five percent of their shots are threes, I, I still just don't even. I, I just can't give Brooklyn a chance. I'm sorry. So here's great news. I just looked up Brooklyn's starting lineup from their last game. Now keep in mind they didn't play Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Garrett Temple, or Karis Levert for various reasons, right? So we could have picked a number of those players as their typical starters, but yes. there was no way in heck you were going to pick any of these guys that they actually did start. All right, so we've got. Rodion's Kuruks, no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. We've got Chris Chioza, uh, the little jitterbug guard. Uh, you've got Tyler Johnson. You might have been able to get that one. Can I, Justin, can I guess? Can I, can I guess? Uh, okay, you're going to say Justin Anderson. Justin Anderson. Um, I'll, can I guess the, the fifth one. guy? Yes. Is it TLC? It is, but you have to give his full name because you're cheating here, and I want to see if you know his full name. <laughs> um i will suspense is just killing yeah i'm gonna get fired i'm I'm gonna get fired if i try to pronounce this but i'm still gonna do it anyway uh timothy uh luau uh chabaro yeah i mean it's like it looks kind of like cabaret it's kind (laughs) of like cabaret cabaro but you i'm gonna give it to you i think on jeopardy 
I think Alex Trebek might have been like, oh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect, and asked somebody else to ring in. I'm going to give it to you. Very well done. What very a generous. team. What a team. They're getting swept. <laughs> There's no doubt. They're, they're getting knocked out in four. Um, so th- this leads me, though, to the last series that we've got, Michael. Yep. Milwaukee versus Orlando. And here you are trolling all the Giannis fans out there saying they're not going to sweep the Orlando Magic. This is a 56-16 and 16 team against a 32-40 and 40 team. What makes you think the Magic can get a game off of Milwaukee? Are you just doing this to get under my skin? <laughs> Look, uh, I want to put some respect on Orlando here. You know, um, I like some. <laughs> I like Steve Clifford. Uh, I like you know their offense at the start was like just guns blazing, incredible. It has completely died. Uh, and you know when I made my picks, I actually did not take the time to look it up. I assumed that they were at least still in the top ten. They have fallen out of the top ten in the bubble in a lot of different categories. Um, I, I yeah, I'll just point out they actually have been pretty bad in the bubble. Um, yeah. So and not that I'm trying to like nitpick. I mean Milwaukee could lose them, and then that could easily happen. Um, but Orlando has not made this like real big compelling push. And if Washington hadn't gone zero and eight. That could have gotten pretty interesting between those two teams. <laughs> so brutal. Um, yeah, I think I think I really wish that uh, Jonathan Isaac did not tear his ACL and he was available for this series because that's just like, you know, there is no such thing as a Giannis stopper. We throw out different names here and there. But I would just be really fascinated to see what he could do against Giannis yeah. in a seven-game so series. I just need to stop here for one second. I, I need to roast you a little bit, Michael. I asked you how Orlando could win a game. And your argument <laughs> so far has been they've fallen out of the top ten in all the major categories. They have an injured player who you wants to see uh, play who's not going to be able to play. And their 65-year-old head coach. Those are the three pillars of your argument that they're going to take down the NBA's best team in the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, come on, man. I th- I think my argument is more about the Bucks and how they've looked, maybe. Like, they have not been this just supreme juggernaut. They dealt with some COVID stuff, and they've been benching players here and there because they've been waiting and resting for the playoffs. And I think maybe their rhythm has suffered just a tiny bit because of it. So if you're Orlando, maybe you can steal the first game. And then you'll just get wiped out and waxed over the next four. But like I, I, I can see a world where this is possible, where like Aaron Gordon just goes off, or Terrence Ross goes off, or something good happens for them. I can see it. So it's a great point. I think in typical basketball hipster fashion, you're just taking it one step too far, Michael. I think that Milwaukee <laughs> has has definitely come back to earth. I think Toronto, Boston, and Miami have got to be licking their lips at how the Bucks have played so far and saying, we've really got a chance. They've come back to earth. This is not the team that it was in March. They're vulnerable. Let's take care of business. We can pull off an upset either in the second round or the conference finals. I, I definitely uh, uh, believe in that 100%. I do not think Milwaukee's come back so far to earth that Orlando is going to be able to take a game off them. I'm going Bucks and four. I think Milwaukee flips a switch and really tries to just punish Orlando and try to punish critics like you who think that they're um, you know dead in the water or you know lagging behind their typical pace and um, you know I think that's that's going to be how it plays out I actually think it's going to be similar to that Detroit series last year where 
the game start to get out of control in like the second and third quarter, and then Giannis is doing a lot of icing down the stretch. That's that's my prediction. I don't think it'll be that bad just because like that, that, that Detroit team was like primo depression, and Blake Griffin was. I mean, Thon Maker was averaging like thirty minutes a night in that series. I think like it was it was very very ugly. I think uh, Andre Drummond was. You know, flagrant twos it were getting thrown around here and there. It was just like a really gross, grimy series. When I look at Orlando, they're more of a team that has an actual identity. And their identity is we don't, you know, we play defense, uh, we defensive rebound, we uh, do not turn the basketball over. And these are all just like little subtle qualities that could push them over the edge in one game. Like, give them one game. Come on, Ben. No, they have an identity. It's that they suck and they've lost five straight. I mean, <laughs> that's their identity. <laughs> like, you're making a good point. Look, if the playoff series was the 2020 Orlando Magic versus the 2019 Detroit Pistons, I'm definitely taking the Magic. I'm with you on that. I just still think that the gulf here that we're talking about, like we're way over analyzing a one and eight series. It's just there's no way. Um, if it goes to five, I will be very disappointed and I will be leading the charges for Giannis to play more minutes because that's the only way this thing stays competitive in any way. Uh, I just don't think Orlando has the people to match up with Giannis. And, uh, you know, I also think that their defense is going to get stretched pretty hard by uh, the way the Bucks attach, uh, attack things. All right, Michael, we have broken down the eight potential playoff series. Well, seven plus the one that we had to hypothesize about. But um, we want to hear all the emailers' takes on these matchups, you know, uh, open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com get those questions and takes in this weekend before play really ramps up we'll be doubling back early next week with uh, you know all your thoughts on uh, you know predictions and who you think might be the surprise teams and everything else so make sure you get those in open floor mail at gmail.com all right michael we've got a whole bunch of other questions we're not going to be able to get through um all of them just because we were just deluged by the listeners with some great great conversations but i do want to dig into the Giannis headbutting incident because i know you wrote about that we got a question from john in southern bohemia he writes i guess Giannis really is the goat he can even headbutt unsuspecting victims back in the 70s we would have called that totally weak i'm still gonna call it that that was a punk move from a player I usually have a lot of respect for. What do you guys think? So John's making uh, outdoors references, and he knows I'm going to read the emails if he calls Giannis a goat and, and makes a headbutting joke. Michael, <laughs> what's your take on all this? I mean, don't you think that we need to protect Giannis from the evil Washington Wizards? <laughs> uh, I... I, I thought that it was cool that John put totally weak in quotes in this email. Uh, shout out to John. I I agree with a lot of what John is saying. I mean, I'm not like pro headbutt <laughs> in a basketball forum. And I did write the, about this yesterday. And uh, something that really fascinates me about Giannis is just like his relationship to rage on a basketball court. And like... He's a superstar. He's the reigning MVP. He's going to become the 11th to, or back-to-back uh, MVP winner in NBA history in all likelihood. He's just on a different level. And for him to stoop to the level of a Dante Hall, who he uh, challenged to a fight earlier in the bubble, um, and like I bet a majority of our listeners don't even know what team Dante Hall plays for. Uh, uh, Mo Wagner... Um, 
headbutting him. He's like he's on a team that has not won a game. Uh, the rationale behind the act was that uh, Wagner took a charge in the open floor, and I people were in my Twitter mentioned saying that they have a past history, which. Sure, whatever. Like, I don't. It, it does not justify uh, headbutting another human being on a basketball court. And when I look at Giannis, it's like it's it's tough because rage and anger play into his benefits so much on a basketball court, right? He's like one of the most physical players. He loves colliding into others in the paint. That's how he gets his buckets. And at the same time, he also is just this huge target for everybody like everybody wants to take their shots at Giannis because they can't stop him they hit him um they take charges just dangerous plays uh and it reminds everyone of Shaquille O'Neal who also had this issue uh back in the at the turn of the century um but like if you're Giannis you just have to and I wrote about I wrote about this angle because it's it's what I think Giannis needs to do and what he needs to kind of evolve into but just be like LeBron like LeBron's dealt with a lot of these same issues throughout his career, and he never lost his cool in that way. And that's one of the most underrated parts of his greatness, in my opinion, is like when Lance Stevenson blows in his ear, he either doesn't acknowledge it or just like briefly lets a smirk cross his face, right? Like Patrick Beverly is constantly trying to get under LeBron's skin. LeBron brushes him off like a flea. This is what Giannis needs to do. Giannis does not need to be running up to people and headbutting them. That is not like he's just he's better than that. Like, am I? Do you you have to agree with this take, right? Well, look, it was an inexcusable action. I thought it actually warranted a two game suspension rather than the one game suspension. Um, I mean, just you can't do that. It's dangerous. You could hurt yourself. You could hurt others. It's not part of sports. It, there's no place for it. So I think mean, that's that's number one. I think that my take on Giannis is. The rage doesn't come from nowhere. His worst incidents have always had buildup. There was a buildup in the Dunleavy Jr. thing when he speared him out of the off the court. There yes. was a buildup here. I mean, there was just some really cheap, unprofessional fouls by Washington in that game. You know, there was a nice uh, video compilation put together by the athletic writer Eric Nem that's just showing some just ridiculous stuff. And and it, there was no place for it. I'm not saying the referees needed to protect him. It wasn't like they were flagrant, but he's just getting shoved. You know, he's getting people like grabbing his arms. I mean, they have no hope to guard him. And you could see the frustration building for Giannis. And it's really been building kind of the whole time down here. I think he really does mm-hmm. believe that he gets, uh, you know, hit in an unfair manner, um, you know, kind of game after game. So that's kind of why he snapped there. The scary part with the, the rage aspect, he does very much act like he's the kid who's just gets bullied, like the quiet kid in school who eventually just kind of, you know, flips out and, you know, goes on the playground and like punches some big kid that no one saw coming. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. we didn't know this guy was built like it. The reason why it's so scary is that Giannis is by far the biggest person on the playground. <laughs> so like <laughs> when he snaps, it just everybody steps back. It's just like, oh, my God, like what's happening here? And I don't know where that comes from, like if that's just some childhood impulse but it, he loses it when he feels physically threatened. There was another play, I think, where you know Wagner was down by his legs. I don't know if he was worried about you know a knee injury or something like that, and maybe that you know, partially set him off as well. But that's kind of the, the impulse when it snaps. I think, in general, I think Giannis is a more controlled player than he gets credit for in terms of his emotions. I mean, if you look at the steadiness of their team the last two years, um, from a win-loss standpoint, from his production standpoint... Um, 
it's I mean it says that he's a strong mental player and I think that he does have these major lapses that are you know very high profile and totally inexcusable but I don't think that's the the, the most fair way to judge him uh, from the mental side because bottom line it's really tough to win 60 plus games right especially multiple seasons in a row he's the reason why they're doing it so I don't want people to uh, you know write him off as this crazy hothead I, I do that again no excuses for the worst moments but judge his entire body of work. All right, Michael, we've got a couple quick ones here to wrap up. Uh, We've got one from Matan in Israel. He says, my dad and brothers, there's six of us sons, all love the pot. That is what I'm talking about, Matan. Get the whole family in on it. He says, we've enjoyed the coverage from the bubble and have loved watching games at a normal time of day. Our question is this. We keep hearing about the high-end barbershop, but we're watching these games and no one seems to be shaving and many guys are letting their hair go. As our guy in the bubble, Ben, what is the story? Is it just simply that they have no women around to impress? Um, very interesting question, Matan. I'll say this. The player's barbershop is high-end. It does look awesome, and I do not have access to it. Now, I'm actually going to get my haircut, Michael, tomorrow for the first time in the bubble. I'm very excited about it, but I do not get to go to the cool, all-glass, uh, high-end barbershop. I believe some of the player's barbers actually will come over and cut our hair on a Friday morning. So it's almost like a charity case. I think they feel bad for us. <laughs> but Michael, guess how much they want for a haircut. And keep in mind, I just get a shaved, you know, a buzz cut, you know. So typically, even in LA, I'm typically paying, uh, I want to say maybe it's like $23 plus tip in LA. I think in Portland, it was something like $12 plus tip. Mm-hmm. So guess what I have to pay in the bubble to get my my hair buzzed? $75. $50, but that's a great guess by you. Um Seems a little outrageous. I mean, I don't know who I take this up with, Adam Silver personally, but it does seem like a a little bit over the top. Um, Matan, I think that it is a lot uh, of what you're getting at here. Guys are just, you know, down here getting through it day by day. They're not quite as concerned as usual. They don't get to wear a lot of the same fun and, and dressy outfits before the game. And so, like, if you can't put the whole fit together, Michael, what's the point of shaving the beard? And I think also for some guys, like they're looking ahead and saying, well, I might be going home later this week, or I might be going home in two weeks. I'll just get it taken care of when I'm back at home. You know, do you ever have that mentality when you're on a trip and you're like, eh, that can wait, you know, I'll just, you know, once I get home, that's when I'm going to worry about it. I feel like there's some of that at play here too. I give myself haircuts, so this is not a problem for me. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's a simple buzz everything. Like basically to the skin. Um, Wait, so do you do you use a, a razor or are you like putting the foam on your head and just stroking no. back and forth? Never, never the foam, not a foam guy. I just bring the razor into the shower with me, do it there. So like once every two weeks, we have uh, a maintenance person come in because our, our drain is clearly clogged for uh, reasons that are <laughs> obvious, but I will never tell, even though I just did. And I will say real quick about like the the hair and the barber situation. We d- we have seen some notable changes to facial hair and to haircuts. I mean, like obviously Jason Tatum getting his waves just completely buzzed off after that abysmal debut performance, and ever since he's looked great. <clears throat> I think also LeBron James and uh, LeBron. Uh, hasn't really had i wouldn't call it like a haircut or anything i'd say his beard was extremely scraggly heading into the bubble um and gray and he definitely dyed it had it dyed and i think you can tell it's been trimmed a little bit here and there 
Uh, so I will say, like, guys are definitely taking use of the barbershop, but I also do see some total scrubs out there. So uh, I think it's a fair fair point. I think Matan might have just seen Solomon Hill and gotten scared. I think that that's possible. I mean, there was just a lot of, of hair coming out every direction from uh, Solomon Hill, but I don't want to call him out personally. He's not the only guy, but he's the first name that came to mind when I saw this question. Um, we've got another one on the bubble specifics. Louise writes, Hey guys, I'm a longtime listener from Valencia, Spain. First time emailer. I have a question. How many public address announcers are in the bubble? Thanks for keeping the show alive during these trying months. It really helped me during the quarantine and I enjoy every episode. Well, Louise, thanks for sticking with us through that quarantine period. Michael, in hindsight, not having basketball to talk about for four months. How did we do that, bro? I don't know exactly how we made it through, uh, but we did. The answer to Louise's question is they have, I believe, four public address announcers. They sort of rotate um, from you know gym to gym, and usually they're calling like multiple games kind of back to back. They do incorporate the team's public address announcers um, during like warmups and uh, introductions, so it has mm-hmm. the feel of like a home game. But then ultimately, like during the game, they switch over to the uh, the in person address announcers. And also, when they're calling out who scores, the the public address announcers are taking into account who the home team is versus the road team. So they will be more enthusiastic reading a player's name or this person for three than they so would be <laughs> if it's one of the players from the uh, the quote-unquote road team. So that's just an interesting quirk. Um, I don't want to call them generic, but I do think they're kind of playing it pretty straight, if that makes sense. Like the, the public address announcers, um, they sound very professional, of course, but they're not going over the top like you get in some arenas um and they're not doing like crazy quirks or like trying to twist things up too much they're just trying to you know basically do it by the book i don't want to put you on the spot but do you know exactly which teams uh representatives are among them i believe cleveland and brooklyn are two of them i don't know the rest off the top and i'm not 100 percent confirmed on that but it has been reported out like those um those names so if you want to google it i believe somebody wrote about it might have been the athletic um but we actually don't have access to those people because they are ensconced in plexiglass across the court. So there is no chance for me to bumble, you know, stumble into the uh, public address announcer. That mm-hmm. would be a major protocol violation, and probably I would be carried out by NBA security um, by my ear. Michael, I want to close up with uh, just a quick plug for a story I wrote last week about the NBA referees and their pickleball obsession. I'm hoping you got a chance to read that one. Essentially what happened was Scott Foster, one of the most notorious referees in the league, organized this pickleball setup where almost every single morning these guys are playing for up to three hours. It's one of the first things that I saw when I was coming out of uh, you know, the, the quarantine, the in-room quarantine period, just how seriously they were taking this thing. And you know, Foster apparently has loved this sport, which is sort of a combination between tennis and ping pong for years. And he's actually he's kind of acting like a cult leader down here, trying to indoctrinate <laughs> all of his fellow referees into playing the sport. And he's really had a lot of success with it. A lot of the guys are playing here. As I mentioned, they go just about every single day. One of the younger referees told me he burned 1,500 calories in a three-hour morning session because of the, the heat and the humidity out here is so serious that, uh, I mean, they've turned this thing into a real workout. And basically, it kind of boils down to the idea of they have a lot of time to kill. In a t- typical NBA season, the referees 
will uh, ref 80 games and take more than 100 flights. And it could even get up to 90 games if you include the playoffs and preseason. Here, Scott Foster is one of the veteran officials. He'll probably be working the finals. He's only anticipating working 20 games over the course of 90 days. So that's basically 70 off days over a three-month stretch. I got to admit, I'm a little bit envious, Michael. I'm not getting 70 off days down here, that's for sure. Uh, but that leads to a lot of questions about, well, how do you keep your work-life balance in a healthy place if you're not around your family? It also leads to questions about just like, what do you do with yourself if you can't leave the um, confined premises? And they go for a weekly golf match, um, but otherwise they're confined to the same area that the media members are. You know, we're basically next door neighbors, Michael. So um, their solution has just been this crazy pickleball tournament. And my favorite detail was just diabolical from Scott Foster, who says that every week, he ranks all of these people he's convinced to play pickleball with him, right? He's recruited them, and then he's doing power rankings on based on how good they are, and he's emailing it out to all the referees to just let them know, hey, here's who the best of the best is. And I said, well, who's number one? And he's like, me, of course. There's nobody even close. So some real swagger from Scott Foster when it comes to pickleball. That quote is was my takeaway when I read this article, which is really great. I like how you describe Scott Foster as a tyrant. I'm sure the NBA love that choice of of of, of verbiage. Well, there. look, Michael. I mean, he's kind of describing tyrannical behavior to me. I mean, he's telling me <laughs> that he berates his teammates, right? I mean, and, and he does do that. I watched him do it. Uh, he's just kind of giving a nonstop, uh, you know, stream of advice to his teammate. And look, we've all been there. If it's Scrabble, if it's Pictionaries. I mean, any kind of you know competitive activity. There's always one guy who takes it too far. And I'll be honest, it's often me. You know, I'm I'm not afraid to uh, flip a Scrabble table if necessary. Um, you know, in a fit of rage, it's it's definitely happened before. Um, but I just think that you know he's he's going after his teammates. He's talking trash. And my other favorite detail was that the other referees are trying to get under his skin by trying to talk trash back to him or trying to like break up his his partners like if one of his partners sucks you know they'll like make some real comments to that guy to try to like get him angry at Scott Foster um, it's just a funny dynamic that these referees are going through down here when they're typically so reserved and we really don't hear anything about them or know much about them it's kind of like their personal lives are on display just like all of us right in, in the bubble there's like really nowhere to hide yeah, that's another great takeaway that I had is just that we don't know these people at all, even though we know their names and we watch them on television running up and down a basketball court like a million times a year. Um, did did you have any, like, I'm just curious and feel free to share with our listeners as much as you want, but I'm curious, like, how this story came together and, you know, beforehand, was anything like off limits in the interview process? Was that like made clear to you? Like, I will not discuss X, Y, no, and Z. No, 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 not at all. It's so funny. I mean, everybody down here is so loosey goosey. Like, we talked. To, I talked to Scott Foster, and I think he's got a reputation as being the biggest stickler in the NBA, wouldn't you say? It's like him or Mark Davis, right? I mean, there are the two guys who are always avoiding giving superstars favorable treatment, who are always getting screamed at by the superstars. I mean, Scott Foster's just always in the middle of this stuff. If you Google his name, Harden calls him all sorts of different names. Paul Pierce says that, um, you know, <laughs> this guy is, uh, you know, kind of cold and, and not willing to co uh, have conversations. I mean, the list goes on and on about complaints about him. So I was just, you know, like, who is this guy? I was just interested in, in learning about him. 
And after like 30 or 35 minutes of talking to him, he's like, I was like, well, I want to be respectful of your time. So, you know, thanks for talking to me. He's like, he's like, look, man, I got nothing else to do. We can talk all afternoon if you want, because <laughs> literally they're stuck in the bubble. And they've got nothing else to do. And you rarely hear that. So it wasn't that anything was off limits, but I thought of this story idea because it just hit me in the face as soon as I got out of quarantine. It was like the first thing that I saw and I had been very curious how are guys going to pass their time. We had heard so much about the players fishing and golfing and there were some obvious ones, but here was this like quirky, weird sport um, that I had never really seen played before with NBA referees who are pretty visible guys, right? Like I think for most NBA fans, you'd be able to pick out, I mean, it's not like the days of Joey Crawford and Dick Pavetta, right? But there's a few officials that you'd be able to pick out by sight. And here they are just like sweating through their clothing, going super hard, two on two, talking trash in this sport that like I didn't even know existed before the quarantine. So it just added to the element of like, I've landed on a foreign planet, like where the heck am I? And that was really the interest. And as soon as I told my editors about it, they were like, this is our favorite story we've ever heard. Please write this. And so it was, (laughs) which is not always the answer I get for my pitches. So I think it was just one of those where they were trying to capture a flavor of bubble life. And the referees, honestly, were, were pretty happy to talk about it because these are very diligent, professional, serious people. They take their reputations and their craft so seriously. Um, you know, they are just locked in day after day during the regular season, trying to be as consistent as possible. They know they hear a lot more criticism than they get credit. And I think, you know, in, in this situation, they felt like, well, you know, we're keeping our competitive juices flowing by doing pickleball, but also billiards and darts and dominoes and all these other games. I think that they were actually, you know, somewhat excited about kind of showing a, a different side to who they are. Fun story, Ben. I loved it. I appreciate it. Probably the last time I'm ever going to write pickleball, but who knows where this wild world will take me. Michael, we have reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get to our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Remember, the playoffs are coming up next week. Finally, here we are in mid-August with the playoffs. So go ahead, hit that five stars. Give us a comment. Help us reach other basketball fans. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at BenGolliver. All right, Michael, they can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Okay, Michael, until next week when we're going to have playoff hoops to dissect and break down, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.